Welcome back to Arts About. A show about art that's... No, what was it again? A work of a art. A work of art in itself. In itself, yes, yeah, very sorry, good. Sorry, John's not here, so... It's <laughs> Clearly it's Mark. <laughs> back on the strap line, very good. You, you're going to need some practice, Mark. Yeah. Welcome back to Arts About, which is brought to you by the generosity of the McClellan Sculpture Park and Gallery. And you're here in the Artable Peace Studios with the obtuse and surprising Mark Stewart and me, Sally Bailey. John has some other pressing engagement today and can't be here, so we're a little shorthanded this week. What are you going to be talking about, Mark? Uh, heaven and hell. Oh, tiny subjects. Yes. <laughs> heaven and Easy. hell in a metaphorical sense or the well, actual heaven no, and a, hell? in a um, Princess Park sense. Oh, yes. Awful. Yep. Awful, awful, awful. Okay. Um, well, I don't know that I'll be looking forward to that, but it is well, no, incredible. It's a short statement. Yes, okay. And anything else? Uh, yes. Um, bullies, sexist, racist, great authors are often awful. But Oh, yes. You, yes, you touched did, on that last I week. Did, That's yes, great. I did, yes. We ran out of time. And, and I think we're going to be talking about John Olson's prints. No? Yes, we are. Um, John Cecil, local gallery owner and CEO of the online gallery Artnet, is here with us this morning to talk about the exhibition of limited edition lithographs and etchings by the artist John Olson that's on at his gallery in Red Hill. So uh, we'll be chatting with him about that. And um, as some of you uh, may be aware, I stood for the electorate of Dunkley in the last election for the Arts Party. That was in 2016. And I was, as, uh, as were most members of the creative community, completely outraged by the disregard afforded by the arts, the current uh, or the, t the arts uh, Liberal government at the time, and in particular, Senator George Brandis, who was the Attorney General and Minister of the Arts, and the way he dismantled the Australia Council. Uh, the Arts Party didn't win any seats in that election, but we did make a noise that was heard and received a significant number of votes. In fact, one and a half million Australians were as concerned about the state of things uh, to use their vote as a protest. So we're going to talk to their new leader, um, Barry Keldoulis, um, and um, he's going to tell us what's happening in the Arts Party now, about then whether or not they're launching a new campaign, etc., etc. Good luck. Yeah. So, uh, but before we do that, let's listen to Leon Russell with a track called Out in the Woods. Um, I heard, I had never heard this before. Uh, it just probably just, just shows my ignorance, really. But um, there's kookaburras in this. Have a listen. Showing now at the John Cecil Fine Art Gallery in Red Hill is a collection of original etchings and lithographs of one of Australia's finest living artists. John Olson, who is now in his 90s, has become a household name with an AO and OBE and countless awards of rec and recognition for his work over the decades. He has a hotel dedicated to his work, which seems to be the current marker of success these days. But it is his older and less grand, but possibly more delicate early work that's the subject of this exhibition of, a, of the original artist and limited edition prints hosted at John Cecil's Gallery in Red Hill. Collector, gallery owner and director of the online gallery Artnet, as well as friend of the show, John Cecil joins us this morning to talk about this exhibition and also I hope to explain a little about the significance of the terms limited edition artist prints and why they're different from reproductions. Good morning, John Cecil. Good morning, Sally. Thank you for inviting me. Ah, oh, very welcome. It's great to have you on the show again. Tell us a little bit about what you've got in your gallery at Red Hill at the moment. In terms of the show? Yeah. Uh, it's 25 works by John from the 70s and 80s, which I always thought was his, his most fertile period, uh, especially in printmaking. Um, and there's a, there are some works that were printed with Fred Jenis, who's the printmaker who, lives, who lived in Sydney at the time, 
who's now retired, but is a world legend, legendary uh, uh, printmaker. Well, we've met him at your gallery uh, you did, on occasion, indeed, yes. 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 Good, good memory there, Sam. Yes. <laughs> um, and then others from my own collection and some from uh, uh, you know, various other collections. Port Jackson Press is a good example. They, they provided some prints. So they're, they're really beautiful works. And prints, uh, my, my real interest in original prints is that is that I see them as the democratic form of art because people can afford to buy a print whereas they may not be able to buy a painting or a watercolour by mm -hmm. a major artist. You know, Elson's are over 100,000 now for, a, for a, even a fairly minor work, but the prints are in the two to $3,000 bracket, so a lot more affordable, but they appreciate at the same rate as a painting does. Do they? So can you describe, because I know that there's a lot of um, discrepancy or people are, are not really sure, because sometimes you see reproductions that are also signed by artists. Can you just give us a little uh, description of what the differences are and why that is so, why, why an original print is, uh, it values in the same way that a painting does, although at a lesser scale? Okay. Um, <clears throat> a true original print is where the artist works on the plate or the stone <clears throat> himself and so so the printmaker Fred Jenis would prepare the stone and then John would draw his marks on the stone uh, before it was treated and then turned into a print. So so there are um, a number of artist proofs that are put together first before they do the addition. The addition is done once the artist has signed off on the one that he thinks is exactly right and, and then they do an addition of 50 or 30 prints. Um, so these are original works of art. The, the, the stone is destroyed or the plate is destroyed right. yeah. after the edition is printed, so they can't be redone. And um, they, they are regarded uh, uh, in Europe, for instance, or America. Uh, you know, Picasso or Matisse, they all did original prints on stone. There was a famous print, printmaker in, in Paris called Mulot. Who, and, and so they, they are original works of art. Yes. Reproductions are actually a photograph taken of a drawing and then reproduced on an inkjet printer. Sometimes they're signed by the artist, but they're not the real thing. Yes, of course. So they're, they're mass-produced. Well, they can uh, they're, be. And they're a copy. They're they a copy are, of the original. Yes, they're I a reproduction of a photograph. Yes. yes. And, of course, there are some fabulous ones now. Because with, is it called giclée printing, which is... Yeah, well, giclée you know, is, is high-quality high, high inkjet printing. Yes. Giclée means to spurt in French. Oh, so, so, so of course, you would know that, Mark. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, it's not often used in the same context. <laughs> is it not? Well, we won't, we won't go into that. Yes. <laughs> no, okay. Um, so how have you come to collect his work? Did you know him? Yes. Uh, um, mm. Back in the... 70s, 80s, I had a gallery in Melbourne and in Sydney called Impressions and we, we specialised in original prints back then and I had a close association with Port Jackson Press that was run by David Rankin and uh, he, he, with the help of some financiers, he managed to get some editions printed by Olsen, Whiteley, Storia, the major artists of the time were, um, were commissioned by Port Jackson Press to produce editions of prints. And, and I was fascinated by that, and um, used to used to uh, have them in my gallery, and and um, it's it's a lifelong um, mm. lifelong love that I have for prints. So, so do prints from that era have have more value than say more? Oh, the, I guess uh, John Olson's probably is he still making prints or? Uh, I, well, he has recently made some of the of the reproduction prints, the the Giclée prints. Right. But he his uh, printmaking 
yeah, he's he's ninety years old now, John. Yes, so he's uh, yeah, he's slowing down, slowing down a little yeah. bit. Yeah, but, yeah, he doesn't really need to work it so much these days. Yeah, and the work he's done more recently has been what the public has demanded, which is frogs and, and uh, pelicans yeah. and the, the like. Yes, I have, I have noticed. Mm. Um, but, but then, so what I'm trying to figure out is it, are the prints that were made in the 70s by Fred... Uh, Jenis. Fred, Fred Jenis. Jenis. Yeah. Are they considered to be more of more value than... Well, than well they are in, by, by people who, who understand, who understand what, what yeah. printmaking is about. Yes. Um, and it was also a very exciting era of John's life in terms of... He was going out to Lake Eyre um, and doing those wonderful prints of, of, of what he called the Desert Sea. Yes. And, um, and his work with animals was just so humorous and, mm. and uh, energetic and mm. wonderful. And that era is, is really a very special time in his life right. of printmaking. Okay. Because I, I would have... Yeah, I mean, he came back from a, a stint in Europe, didn't he, with fresh eyes on Australia and, and really changed uh, the way... The painting, well, landscapes were seen, or certainly painted by white folk here in in Australia. It was really a very different way of looking at things, wasn't it? That he brought back with him. The European yes, uh, approach. Uh, yes. Well, in the sixties, when he because because didn't he return from Spain around yes. about? Yeah, then? he was in Barcelona. Yeah. Right, and uh, his paintings. I I went just sort of researching a little bit. Went back and had a look at some of them. Uh, from around that time, and I can't imagine that anybody else was painting like that. Oh no, no, John, John's work is unique, and, and yeah. uh, he is also tempered or flavoured with his love of food. And, and when yeah. he came back from Spain, he was yeah. Really, who wouldn't after yeah. living in Spain? No, the, yeah, some of those paintings of the fish <laughs> and on yeah, the yeah, table—they're the so beautiful. And, yeah. But he was—I think he was influenced by Tapies. Very, very much, so, very much so. Yeah, yeah which yeah. people don't people don't really know yeah. Tapia so much here. No, but I, is he, he a Barcelonian? Yes, uh, Spanish. I don't know if he was Barcelonan, but he, he lived in in Paris. Yeah, but he, he uses the same sort of heavy marking on yeah. the stone that yeah. John does. Right. Uh, so, I mean, um, how would people describe? Because his work seems to be a mixture of both abstract and. And, and figurative work, isn't it? Somewhere, he, somewhere he, in between, because you can recognise things in there, but at the same time you can blow your eyes and it can just be beautiful shapes. He, he's been accused of being an abstract artist, yeah. but he denies it vehemently that he's yes. an abstract artist. He, he draws what he sees and what his imagination sees, and, and he sees it as a, a real-life painting, whether it's a landscape or an animal. Or, so, so they do have an abstract quality about them, but they're definitely not abstract mm. works in his mind mm. as he sees it. I'm trying to think of any... Australian abstract artists of any worth. Can you can think of that? I mean, most. I mean, Brett was definitely abstract in the beginning, but still based on the landscape. When you think of those Sijian paintings, yeah. in his early twenties. But uh, your know, most painters in Australia seem it's, to be yeah. figurative. You know, they're, they're. I think that's true. Mm. Um, there are there are. They're not fully abstract as people like well, Rothko or. You know, well, or, people like. Robert Jacks. And Robert well, Jacks yes, I mean, we did see some in the field, of course. That's true. That, there yes, was that time, yes. heavily influenced by the, by, by, um, the Americans, I think. Yes. Oh, but very much so. Very but much we so. have our share of abstract artists in Australia, but mm. John yes. certainly would hate to be the called, yes. an abstract artist. Yes, okay. Now, your gallery, which is called John Cecil Fine Art in, in Arthur's Seat Road in Red Hill, what's your specialty there, generally speaking? Well, generally, it's as I say, printmaking is is my love and what I yeah. uh, have always tried to teach to Australian uh, collectors is the importance of of uh, original prints. 
So I'm a bit one-eyed about that. Right. <laughs> okay. Okay. So question finished. And of course, because well, I visited there on the weekend or um, just before the weekend, actually, and there's a beautiful fire going and you also have a kitchen in there. So it's actually a rather lovely place to, um, I think, have lunch or have a glass of wine and and uh, have a look at, at some rather spectacular art as well. Yes. We, we've tried to create an environment that is sort of fine art, fine food, uh, yep. fine views, because it's a beautiful view. There are some amazing views the there. And, um, and fine wines, of course. So um, it, we, Why we, wouldn't you? We, we like to think <laughs> we're, we're, we're packaging a Mornington Peninsula sort of, um, uh, you know, ideal sort of environment to, to sit in and, and, sh- and enjoy culture and yeah. food. So. Yes, well, it's very exciting to see oh, that. What are the opening hours again? Uh, yeah. We're open Friday, Saturday, Sunday, just those three days a week. Uh, from 10 in the morning till 5 in the evening. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I will, of course, make some links on our Facebook page, but Thanks, uh, we'd love to have you back again. I know that John was um, kicking himself that he couldn't be here today because he really wants to have a talk to you about uh, about those different modes of, of reproductions and prints and yes. ver- one versus the other. So we might well, organise I mean, something. I think it's fairly obvious that John's going to um, I know, obviously. talk about his jikle prints and, and well, how he is. And his... Um, yeah, that's the way he uh, he makes his prints. That's right. Well, he's a practicing artist now, and of course, it's and they're very beautiful. And there's a, there's great pressure to do that for all sorts of economic well, reasons. And but I, I mean, think that there the, is that's argue- the way things happen these days, as yes. opposed to to people doing the um yeah, you know, on the on the stone. Yeah, the, the fine difference is that um, if the art, for instance Alexander Stitt, who was a wonderful artist, uh, who used to be a commercial artist and went into doing G clay prints, but he. Because he was technically proficient on a computer, he he drew all the all his work on his computer with a tablet. Yes, and so that would qualify as an original print. Okay, um, all right. Whereas uh, in the other case, they take photographs, photographs of yes. a painting and then yeah. print it. Yeah. That, to me, in my view, as a bit of a purist, is not not the quite real, the same. Not the real thing. No, so I'm and, sure and do they last as long? Sorry, oh, sorry do they? Uh, sorry. Uh, oh, uh, Gicle, yeah, Gicle prints last because they're printed on on. Um, uh, very good paper. Very good paper. Very mm. uh, long, long-lasting inks. But as I say, the, the, it's not the they same. just haven't got the that magic. Yes. Okay. Well, I think we'll go on about that on another occasion because there's plenty we'll talk about. I, can, I expect an animated conversation, perhaps round at yours one afternoon, John. Look, what do you think? Oh, fabulous! <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much for coming on today. Great um, the art of John Olson is on at uh, John Cecil Fine Art, 164 Arthur Seat Road in Red Hill, until the middle of July, I think. Yes. Fabulous. Thanks again. Thanks, Sally. Coming up, uh, I have a rather beautiful track from, I always say that, don't I? It's called Walk a Mile by Holly Golightly. Committed to introducing arts thinking into politics and promoting creative, scientific and evidence-based ideas to improve the lives of people, the Arts Party emerged in 2013 from a conversation in a Sydney pub between two friends, artist PJ Collins and creative director Barry Watterson, who were both fed up with the state of support of the arts and felt that it was time for a political voice to rise up against the tide of indifference being offered. They began a crowdfunding campaign that has ultimately resulted in an internationally based political movement with parties currently registered federally in Australia and also in England, Scotland and Wales. The next party registration is expected to occur in Ireland in 2018 and they have a new leader, uh, Barry Keldoulis and we have him in the program today to talk to us through about what the Arts Party is about, why they need your help and what they stand for. Good morning Barry, welcome to Arts About. Good morning, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Thanks for coming on the program today. 
My pleasure. Barry, when someone asks you what does the Arts Party stand for, what's your elevator pitch? Well, um, basically that, um, you know, all the um, facts and figures show that arts and culture are important to Australians and yet we have no voice in Parliament and no real political presence. Um, and if the shooters and fishers and the four-wheel drivers can have um, a voice in Parliament, there seems to be no reason why we shouldn't. Was it a bit of a curveball when you decide, when you were elected as leader for the party? Um, it was a pleasant surprise, I guess you could say. Um, PJ Collins, who you mentioned, I think, in the intro there, yep. um, had been the, the, the founder and leader of the party for for five years and um, put in an enormous amount of, of work and, um, and effort to um, uh, start the party and, and, and run it. Um, but, you know, it is a volunteer organisation at this point and um, um, it was time for him to have a little bit of a rest, although he's still our party secretary and working hard. Um, but uh, he felt uh, it was time to create a different structure um, and um, he um, asked me if I would stand for the leadership and um, I couldn't think of a reason why not. <laughs> Nobody wants to fall into that Peter Costello hole of saying no too many times and then eventually not <laughs> ever getting the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is, it is quite frightening um, looking at it. It's very easy to sit back and criticise politicians and, um, you know, they're, 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 I think one of the least... Um, uh, popular groups um, in our society, but um, when you're on the other side and looking at being a politician, it's quite fr it's quite frightening, really. Um, but it's also a challenge, so um, uh, it, you know, it makes it interesting. Makes life a bit interesting. What do you think that the arts can do by electing a, a political voice? Well, it would be wonderful to to get some people elected to um, even the, the state legislatures and um, and and certainly the federal. Um, Mainly, as I said, as said before, you know, to have a voice um, in politics and to be taken seriously. Um, most uh, politicians, um, I mean, in, in the lead-up to the last federal election, you know, the, the, uh, the government, the Liberal Party, had no um, uh, arts policy whatsoever. None whatsoever. The Labor Party shocking. had to sort of be forced kicking and screaming into announcing one um, after they were cornered and confronted with the, the existence of an arts party. And the Greens actually adopted all of our policies and, and wonderfully gave us credit for them. So um, <clears throat> it's really about people. And, and you know, we had a, um, a slogan that we thought was a bit, perhaps a bit silly, but sounded good, a, a rallying cry, which was a million votes for the arts. And we actually got over 1.6 million federally. And, and that's, of course, not first, first votes. But that's, um, that's about 10% of the population. We had, you know, no money and very little um, advertising campaign, just a little bit of um, social media and, and, and mouth, word of mouth. Yes, and, and some so very dedicated... 10% of the population will see the words, the Arts Party, and vote for it. Um, and that means that they're, they're um, concerned about arts and, and culture. And so even if we don't get elected, I think the idea is at this stage to let the major parties take the arts and culture section uh, segment seriously um, and it's important to our, our, um, our very still sort of quite young society. I mean we, we have the oldest culture on earth um, in, in our midst, in our presence, but you know as a, as a country Australia is quite young and we're actually building our culture you know as we speak um, and it's important to a lot of people and we, we uh, you know having a, um, a voice and having the major parties take arts and culture seriously is, is pretty much our aim.
Yeah, of course. And, and to be sort of totally cynical about it, of course, all that all they really want to do is make sure that or enable themselves to get into government. And to hear that 1.6 million Australians actually consider the arts to be an important forum to... Yeah to prevent, protect is a really important... That's a whole bunch of votes that they could just lay their hands on. And, you know, we did run um, candidates uh, in the Senate in, in all of the, the states um, for, for the Senate, but we also had a number of lower house candidates. And, of course, they got nowhere here winning. But, but you know, in, in a number of seats, um, and we had very few people on the ground, um, and we're, we're, we did have people handing out, you know, leaflets, the vote was, was noticeably higher... Um, but even in some of those seats, you know, the, the vote was two to three percent, and in a close um, battle in a, in a lower house seat, that two or three percent can can make a big difference. Mark, Sorry, yeah. Barry. Good morning. When, when you Mark. say, um, do you mean representation? This is what you're trying to 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 say. As the Arts Party, you want to represent the arts in general, or I mean, do you have a, a complete politic that you're that you're presenting to people? Yeah. Um, representation um, in in our parliament um, because that would be the most um, uh, effective way of um, having the arts taken seriously um, mm. and having our policies um, implemented. When you say taken um, seriously, in what sense do you mean? You know, we're not just looking for, for bigger handouts for, for, for artists or institutions. Mm. We're looking at, at um, arts and culture being thought of as integral to, to all of our... To the economy, to the economy. No? Yeah. Uh, this is a very important point because what I found, I lived in France for many years and the arts, you know, they have a minister of culture who mm. is basically at the whim of the, you know, the latest fads and, and um, in many ways managed to gender a, a sense of mediocrity in the arts because there's so many people fighting for, the, you know, for a bit of money here and there and it doesn't really create that, that sense of form formation that an artist needs by by himself in many senses and so this idea of helping the arts is a very it's fraught with there are a lot of problems because it can um sort of make it a looser yes. formation i think i understand what you're saying and, and there was an interesting after the last um uh, budget mm. um there was um the ceo of nava Esther and Anatoly, she was on the radio program I happened to hear when I was driving. Mm. And with, a, I think, a colleague of hers from maybe Arts Hub, and they were sort of looking at the budget from an, from an arts perspective. Mm. And um, they, you know, obviously had something to say about what was very little content um, mm. because the budget pretty much, apart from taking another $84 million from um, the ABC, which is, of course, a, a creator of Australian content, Mm. for television, radio, etc. Mm. Um, there was very little mention of the art, um, except um, to take some of that $84 million and put a memorial to Captain Cook in the Treasurer's electorate. Yes. But interestingly, the calls and the tweets after the program were pretty much evenly divided between, you know, the arts are important, you know, and um, they deserve more support to 50% of the people saying... Yeah, you know, just um, bleeding hearts wanting another handout. It's not about um, us. It's not about us looking for, for greater handouts, but it's, no. it's also about um, integrating the arts um, more um, effectively into other um, aspects of like our of education. Society. So it's interesting that you know about five years ago the um, the uh, federal minister was talking um, in, in terms of education. They were talking about STEAM, which um, has now become 
the focus is on STEM and the arts have dropped yes. out. Yes. Um, so, you know, we would want, you know... Um, oh, it was called STEAM before, was it? Now it's called STEM. Is that what you're saying? STEAM, um, the A was for art. Yes, so, exactly. Um, and STEM is the science, so technology... Gone out. So if you were if you were to be there um, in Parliament, you would be able to to yes. encourage. Yeah. The we're still finding the same problem. That is that we've you. Know, I'm I'm an artist, and I don't believe that artists should get too much help because I think they should you know they they should be learning themselves what's going on in the world. They don't actually need that help, which is completely you. Know, many people Counter will, will to damn many people. me yes. for that that uh, that Viewpoint. situation. But I've seen in Holland as well. There was extraordinary help from the government towards the artists, and they just got so much rubbish because they said they'd buy everything an artist made and they put these warehouses just full of rubbish basically so obviously yeah, you know, you're I not know you're not talking about that and, um, but then and, you know uh, there's the other aspect sorry the other aspect is that the, you know they they've realized the bilbao effect on museums and how those museums have created so much economic life around them with the you know, restaurants muse- um, cafes everything going on around the museum that obviously the victorian government with its investment in the arts precinct has, has come you know they're realizing that that there is this this investment in the you know the end result. It's not in the actually making the artist. But as Plato said, you know, you teach people the harp so they can appreciate it, not so they all become masters of it. That's right, and also to enhance culture. We absolutely need it in our education system. We absolutely need to recognise its value in our. It depends in the on the quality extremes. of the arts education. You also well. Th- that's right, but yeah. if there is none, that's worse than there being mediocre arts education, I would have thought. <laughs> um, so tell me, Barry, what's happening with the Arts Party now? Because we're, we're, we must be about 18 months away from the next election. Yes, well, we're, um, we're reassessing our policies um, and, and updating our, our policies. The, um, we are looking to, uh, to begin to... Um, contest the state elections. Unfortunately, we won't be able to contest the, late, the next uh, New South Wales election because that has a cut-off point of, of 12 months before for registration, and that passed earlier this year. But, but um, in Victoria, I think the cut-off is at the end of this month, beginning of July, and we're just a couple of uh, hundred members short of the required amount Victoria, oh, so in order to to register a, here, a bit of a push to see if we can get registration in Victoria. Well, there um, you are. There's a big call out to our Arts About listeners. You can actually participate in and become a member of the Arts Party uh, yeah, over the next couple yeah. of weeks. Yeah, and we're a very democratic party, so we um, we of course listen to everyone's opinion um, and uh, take on board what people have to to say to us. And membership is is free. Um, you can. If um, if one likes you know to support the party, you can sort of donate you know as little as a cup of coffee a week, not actually a cup of coffee, but the amount yeah, of, the a amount cup of, of money um, <laughs> to, um, to to the party to keep it going because we we're much more interested in sort of grass, grassroots um, support than than necessarily you know collect one big major sponsor to whom you'd become beholden. But um, yes, the the complication I think is that it's not. Um, you know, there's free membership. You can become a member online, but then I think you do need to go through the process of, of filling out the um, Victorian government's um, uh, form that needs to be returned to them. But but we would very much love to run in the Victorian election. Just um, you know, in terms of getting um, awareness of the party out there. You know, as I said, for the federal election, 
when we achieved that something like 10% uh, recognition, it was really on the day because there was very little pre-publicity that we were able to achieve. So just um, having the party out there and um, um, contesting these elections will we'll increase the awareness for the next federal election as well. Well, I will, of course, put all sorts of links on our Facebook page and, and so people can have a look at what the, the current policies are and yeah. uh, what's going on in the Arts Party now and have a, maybe even have a look at you, Barry. And yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today. We're, of course, uh, very keen on protecting the arts and, in, and making sure that they do remain a powerful promoter yeah. of culture. And, you know, part of, part of what drives our economy, you know, um, it's not just uh, it's very true. about handouts, you know, yeah. as, as, you were, as uh, Mark was saying about, about handouts to others, it's about recognising it as a... As a um, and the economic force behind our, our, our culture. It's very, very yeah. much so. Well, it know. promotes the ability for people to be able to think critically, but of course it does this... Uh, this input into the local in local economies and they've done some very interesting studies quite recently which uh, which go forensically into productions that have been invested in by the yep. local government I'm not sure what the organization was but they quite recently they did a study on the MTC's production of something and discovered yep. that the three million dollars investment that they had made had over the course of several months uh, with hotels and restaurants and travel and and tourism and so on translated into something that was in the 40 millions it's you know so it's not yeah. it's it's not yeah. unreasonable to say that this is short-sighted to consider yeah. That the arts are a luxury. They're not a luxury at all. They're really important. No, this is the point which needs to be. People need to know. Yeah, I think. But I think they they are Barry. Actually, when you think of the the future is going to be, people are going to have so much more time on their hands. You know, the the art and culture will take a hopefully more of a um, central position in their lives. One would yeah, hope so. And, and it's not just you know about the, the magnificent uh, art centres you know planned for the major cities like the one that the sun was drawing board about in. Mm. In Melbourne, but mm. you know the regional towns. Of course. Oh, so yes. Um, yeah, in particular, I think Victoria is particularly um, well endowed, if I can put it that way, in terms of regional galleries. Absolutely, that are yeah. Quite, they have significant connections, uh, collections, and also attract significant numbers of um, visitors. Yes, well, we were, we were recently in Ballarat at the Ballarat Gallery, and it was a wonderful experience. A very lively mm. and, and you know, it's a thriving place. Yeah, yeah, we do yeah. have a very, very powerful network and, and some incredible collections, as you say, and they're all. Yeah. Um, our own local, there are resources, they're, they're, they're state owned assets mm. or, or federally owned assets. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Well, I know we know that you were visiting just this weekend, yeah, so yeah, and I stopped in at um, Point Leo, yes, the sculpture <coughs> there, park there. I think a private concern, but but again, the number of people there that were, were you know part of, of the reason they were visiting was for the, the art they could see, and then. Even on the freeway down, it made the drive more interesting to see some large the sculptures. Scale yes, well, that's in the Clellan Gallery out. in um, Frankfurt. Yes, who yes. are doing that. But it's true that I mean, obviously, the you know, Peninsula is a, is a not a poor area. It's a vibrant. And, um, there's a lot of you know a lot of the big um, winemakers are making restaurants and and sculpture gardens. Yeah. It's uh, some better than others. Well, um, artsabout.org.au is the website. You can go to look at the Arts Party and find out a little bit more about them. I will, of course, as I say, put links on our Facebook page. But we urge you, and I'm sure you do too, Barry, we urge our listeners to maybe consider becoming a member of a party that might help enhance our lives into the future. Thanks so much for talking Excellent. to us today, My Barry Kildoulis. Yeah, thanks, Barry. Uh, lovely talking to you. Good, good luck. Thanks. Talk to you. 
Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. I was going to play another song by Mink Deville, but I'm, we're running out of time. So okay. why don't we... You've got a lot to talk about to us today, I Mark, haven't could, you? I could do, yes. Um, so, Heaven and Hell. Heaven and Hell, that's right. Yes. Now, well, look, we're going back to, to Princess Park. Um, that um, poor girl called Eurydice. Yes. Um, in Greek mythology, Eurydice, there are quite a few Eurydices, but uh, the most remembered is the wife of Orpheus, who he tried to bring back from oh, the underground. of course, yes. Um, and I think after what that poor girl went through, if there is a possibility of heaven, that she went there directly. Yeah, I do hope so. And whereas the poor autistic messed up boy, who is now in a living hell, Yes. Now, apparently, there was a recent high-up Catholic statement that heaven and hell are actually a state of mind. Yes, I did. Yes, I that. did. Pope Francis that, yes. was talking Came from to the Vatican, a, didn't yes. It? Well, you know, he was talking to his one of his best friends, who was a, a publisher, in private, and the publisher oh, was it? Uh, said that. And, and so it? Francis had to explain that, in fact, no, it's a state of mind. It is a state of mind. It's not just this. Whereas, he, you know, to most people, it is this idea of a. Well, we've seen all the paintings, haven't we? Yeah. Somewhere we go when we cark this mortal coil. No. But to get back to um, this Eurydice, who... Um, uh, you know, one thing I'd, I, I really say to many um, young people is, if you're ever walking alone at night, or even during the day, don't have your headphones on, yeah. so that you can be aware of what's going on around you. So that you can't be taken uh, by surprise, because you're in your own world. I know it's lovely to be in there, but you, it, it really is. A, I've seen it so often people you're walking at night or even riding a bicycle with headphones on. It's such a dangerous thing to do. I don't know if that was the case. I, you know, but whatever. Uh, I, you know, I feel so much for the girl, but I also feel for that poor boy who's 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 you know, who, who probably doesn't even you know in some way he was he, he's autistic. Whether how far autistic he is, doesn't I don't make know. an excuse. I mean, not, I, I'm I, not giving I know, you an excuse. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is that that unfortunately, it's like all those boys who shoot up the the school kids. It's mostly messed up boys yeah. who who are f- sexually frustrated, who can not e- can't have any. A connection to any girls because the girls look at them and go, you know, you're 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 not. You know, there's this competitive edge, as you will know, and those poor boys who don't have that that oomph or that you know that front, they suffer and they go. And, and look, I'm not. It's it's. I'm not forgiving in any way. Mm. I'm just saying that there is this aspect of, of, of boys' education is, yeah. that, sh- you know, that, that something has He's to be done because you've got these. You know, you've got all these hormones just. You're going everywhere, and they and they uh, they don't know where to go. Well, he hasn't been. He, he's been failed by a system. By the system, by yeah. well, by maybe his parents as well. But it's a it's a horrible thing to happen to to anybody. So, moving on mm. to Mike Parr. And, <gasps> yes, uh, I saw him emerge actually. The well, other I day. didn't. I um I didn't. Wasn't really interested in seeing uh, this old man coming mm-hmm. out of a roadway yeah, pretty, pretty wild <laughs> I mean he's a bit of a tension seeker you must say well of course he you is know, but, he's a and, performance artist and then they say you know, the, to the, the, his performance was uh, described by the creative director of Dark Mofo as um, acknowledge two deeply linked events in Tasmania's history the eventual transportation of 75,000 British and Irish convicts the first half of the 19th century and the subsequent nearly total destruction of Tasmania's Aboriginal 
population. So it was Now, more of a protest, really, than a. Well, than I, look, I'm else. sorry. How someone digging a hole in the road and putting himself in there for 72 hours has anything to do with that is beyond me. And this is once once again another example of the art saying this is what it's about, when in fact it's got nothing to do. I mean, you could say it's about about the you know, beginning of the world. You could say whatever you like. It doesn't really have that point at all so I'm, I'm, I'm it, it was a peculiar title. link I, I have to admit I did go and see Mike Parr when he did uh, the in asylum the, in the down asylum at, yeah um, down there which was which was much more uh, messy uh, Yes, it was messy, <laughs> but it was also the, a, a clearer link between mm. the con the content that he yeah. was res describing and and the art. You could actually sense what it was right. about. This one is a, a very strange one because, of no. course, he's just so completely cut off. I mean, it, it's a mad thing to do. Look, I've, I, it has, he's not the first. There was a guy in London th um, three years ago who put himself in a cage up in the oh, air. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. Yes, and yes. he, uh, you know, there's a lot of people doing this. Chris Burden, the American performance artist who shot himself in the arm and you know it goes on and on I find the links that they make are just too gratuitous and and uh, people mm. this is why the general public goes what the hell are these artists going on about you know? mm. and they were saying it cost something like four hundred fifty thousand dollars which could have been given to the poor people <laughs> I know. Not well they had to dig up the road yeah. and uh, then stick something in and it 29 and 29 buses and then... had to be rerouted etc <laughs> oh, look I don't care I'm not that's just I find it a bit bizarre anyway I don't know if you know anything about pie Pie, e not edible as in, pie, as or is it pie? Meat pie, the pie, the, as in the, the circle. Yes, the it's the, of the, the ratio of the circle's circumference to its diameter. Yes, is three point one four one five nine, and it keeps going on to infinity. Yes. Okay, there was a um, a sixty-year-old Japanese man who recited pie to a hundred thousand digits in sixteen hours, and it was like a spiritual mantra. Right. So he managed to remember a hundred thousand digits of pi. This Japanese man. Well, weren't they all nines? Huh? Weren't they all nines? At the uh, end? No, I don't think so. I, well, I don't know actually. I don't. I haven't gone into. I haven't gone a hundred thousand digits past. I've well, well once if you six. go about three point, what is it? Three, three point. It's three point one four one five nine. Yes, which must then go on. Oh, okay. So it's a. Yeah, I don't know that. I'm not. A, I, we need to speak to John Baird's brother Andrew, who's a mathematician. Oh, Maybe he'd be able to tell us. We're yes. talking about Dark Murphy as well. Anyway, there was. This was about people who were doing doing extraordinary things with their minds and their memories. And there was. I'd spoken about Sir Richard Burton, who was a um, English explorer, explorer in the 19th century. Yes. Spoke he wrote, 40, 40 didn't he languages. translate the Kama Sutra? Uh, could have. I think he did. Uh, not sure. Yes, he did. He, well, maybe it was not the Kama Sutra, but it may. It was a. An Arabian's uh, okay. erotic. Oh, I have to look one, that up. One thousand one nights, then. No. Okay, you look that up. Yeah. There is now an American hyper polyglot called Alexander Agui, who who speaks seventy languages. Seventy. Yep. It's not bad. Imagine being a, be a conversationist. And to finish off, um, there is a famous English professor, Oxford professor, called William McCaskill who is the leader of an effective altruist movement um, called Supernaturally Happy. Everything he earns, over £25,000, $44,000, he gives away. What? He gives away oh. and points out that 97% of the, of the world lives on less. One of his employees, Pablo Stabrini, has 70 possessions, some clothes, a pair of boots, shoes and trousers for tango, because he's Argentinian, Two pairs of underpants, which doesn't seem like a oh, lot. Unnecessary <laughs> to know that. Yes. A, desk, a decent desktop, 
and a few bits and bobs. This is from an English um, journal, which reminds me of Blaise Sondras, the French poet, who was Swiss, I think, actually lived in Paris in the early part of the century, 20th. Uh, he had one change of clothes, stayed in hotels and ate in restaurants, and just had a pen and paper. He was a poet. Hello. So it's all about you. Know, less is more. Less is more, yes, exactly. Uh, and by the way, you were right. It was a book of the thousand the nights. nights. Yes. Okay. Book of the thousand nights and a night. All right, yes. so uh, if, do we have any more time? Or we've yeah, you yeah, have, actually. Okay, well, look, this is the thing I was trying to talk about last week, which oh, was yes. um, the... It's the a, two sisters. The, no, no, the, not, not the uh, Dorothy Hewitt. Well, they're still going on about it in the Australian today. There's been... Uh, and also Andrew Bowles and the Sun talking about how what a horrible woman Dorothy was, which you'd expect, oh, well, of, Dor- you'd expect that of, of Andrew. Yeah. So this is about authors, which Andrew I'm sure would love, um, and how nowadays many authors have a morality clause written into their publishing contracts. If they act immorally, their publishers have the right to drop them. It's not hard to imagine that Ronald Dahl, who was, as I said, was sexually promiscuous, racist, sexist, a liar, etc. This is all described by his wife of 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and who John uh, Cecil, who was a uh, publisher, was saying he met him and he was a lovely man. But of course, he wasn't his wife, was he? No. So uh, you never know. What they're saying is that if that had been the case, if this morality cause had been put onto he, he wouldn't be wouldn't have been published. No. Okay. So they're saying that Charles Dickens was also a cold-hearted egoist. Um, yes. He left his children. He was um, Virginia Woolf was anti-Semite. Right. Even though her husband was Jewish. Um, v. S. Naipaul, who was angry with his wife because she wouldn't die from her breast cancer fast enough. What? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the sort of thing you hear about and you just wonder. I mean, he says here. According to almost everybody you talk to, the Nobel Prize-winning novelist V.S. Naipaul, but probably, I don't know if that's pronounced, is a nasty piece of work you could hope to meet. He regularly cheated on his first wife, the prostitutes. After she was diagnosed with breast cancer, he was angry with her for not dying fast enough. He wanted to move on and marry his mistress. He is an epic snob, too. I don't know Star Wars. I'm not interested in films, he once told George Lucas at a party. And yet he is the author of I Wish for Mr. Biswash. Would would we wish to be without it? Mm. Mm. I don't. I didn't watch Star Wars either. Oh, no. didn't you? It was, no. Yes. no, no, no. So people that don't like it. I loved it. The list goes on. Pat- Patricia Highsmith, anti-Semite. Philip Roth, sexist. I love it. Well, Green who's Butler, to say uh, why should artists or um, this or is, writers be anything other than just a representation of the rest of the population? I mean, there's horrible people that are dustbin cleaners, or do well, you know look, what I mean? Or, or gorgeous people. It's the, it, but that's what it's coming to. Where they're saying the morality clause in publishing could be the end. It's like the you know, the sort of the anybody anything goes in the art world that that you you you, you the, yes. the more you allow. The, well, what the, you realise is, of course, it's only. About about business and they're, they're, it's businesses wanting to put a morality clause in it because of course if if an author inflames their audience against them they're not going to sell as many books and it, that's re- that's what it's about it's it, it, were it to come from a, a, were it to be a government decree it would have a different meaning but yeah. I think it's really yeah, what they used to do before was say oh we're not really you know, we're, we're not sure about this and publish it and get all the bad publicity and that would sell more books. Yes, well... So, you know, they're going to miss out on... That's usually that the case, actually. Yes, well, they could miss out on both sides. But it's, that, it's that political correctness just going 
it's getting its Haywire. fingers into everything. I yep. agree. Yeah, no, look, it's going there, but then apparently it's changing. It's going the other direction. We're just not aware of it yet. Oh, the pendulum has begun swinging up. I way think now. so. Well, look, but look, as you as you know, each each generation changes so quickly, the, the opposite to what the one before was. Yes. And so it's a um, you know, we we never really know what's going on. This is, I think, the basis of the you know, our world problem. We we seem to be so sure of ourselves, but nobody really knows what's going on. No one has a clue. But we do know that this is about to end. Yes, it does. Because hark, it's time for the news. Uh, Dark mofo is upon us, of course. Oh, here I haven't given Mark his his news list. Um, yes, Dark mofo is on us. Uh, we are hoping that we're going to speak with Drew Baird at some point about being on the ground because I'm not there this year which I'm rather disappointed about no. anyway the arts party needs you our culture is being eroded by indifference why don't you consider becoming a member and helping them get a place at the political table uh, Mike Jankovic Mick Jankovic Mick, sorry Luminist is on at Merrick's Art Gallery yes uh, Home of the Boys is on at Bunjil Place in Casey until the end of July the Art of Jordan Olsen, a collection of limited edition prints, opens at the John Cecil Fine Art Gallery on Red Hill Road on June the 9th until the end of July. That's right. Now, John Anderson has an exhibition opening this week at Australian Galleries, and I think um, it's going to be hanging until the end of the July. We're going to go and see it, so I expect we might be talking about it, and hopefully maybe even with him next week. Uh, we're also getting along to the Buxton. Gallery. That's true. Yes. So. The new acquisitive, let's hope the Buxton show is better than the last one. The new yes, acquisitive prize splash that McClelland has created is open to all you watercolorists. Entries accepted until September the 12th. Yes, so you've still got plenty of time. If you've just tuned in, you've missed Starts About. But you can hear the repeat on Wednesdays at 12 or listen to the podcasts on the station website. You can also listen to us on air and streaming or there's even a radio app you can listen to us now on or also there's some fabulous new website that I've got the podcasts on which will make uh, listening to it a little bit easier and a bit easier to find what you might be interested in um, listening to. You know, if you've missed the program, you can catch up that way. So have a look at our Facebook page. You'll hear all about some of, the, some of our guests and some of the things that we've been talking about. We're going to be on again same time next week, 11am Sunday. And remember, everybody, we may not know everything about art. I have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. Oh, I think sometimes you do, Mark. I make a good... Yeah, you confident. get loud.